0: You are listening to episode number 48 of the Effective Statistician Podcast. Current trends in data science for pharma. Findings from a qualitative survey and what we as statisticians should do about it. Welcome to the Effective Statistician Podcast with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske, the weekly podcast for statisticians in the health sector designed to Improve your leadership skills, widen your business acumen, and enhance your efficiency. The PSI conference is coming up. It's from the 2nd to the 5th June in London and it'll be awesome. I've been to a couple of the PSI conferences and not just because PSI is con- sponsoring this podcast. I'm really, really big fan of it. Since I've been there first time, I've been there every year. The early bird rate is until March 20th. So sign up fast to save some money. And I will present there as well. So just, you know, sign up, come to London, and let's meet there. We can have a chat about what you want to like, and. it'll be pretty interesting from the content perspective. It's for me the best conference for statisticians in pharma or if you're working for a role I can think of. Register now, don't waste your time, ask your supervisor if you need approval for travel, but do it really, really fast. By the way, if you need reasons for your supervisor, just check out my LinkedIn page and you'll find an article with I think 10 reasons why your supervisor should approve uh, going to the conference. So check that out, ask your supervisor to approve it and then just come to London. And I'm really, really uh, sure you'll um, have a good investment of your time and you will enjoy it as well. So by the way, there's lots of fun activities around it as well. So it's not just learning, it's also a lot of fun. I can tell you. So today in this interview we talk about uh, the survey and you can learn where the health sector might be heading and you can understand the opportunities and barriers that comes with that. So also you will learn what kind of individual skills are needed for you to master these changes. This podcast is created in association with PSI, a global member organization dedicated to leading and promoting best practice and industry initiatives. Welcome to another episode of the Effective Statistician. And this time again, we are speaking about data science like about the same time last year, we talked about data science. And like last year, we have yet another guest from Saitel. Hi Ursula, how are you doing?
1: I'm fine, how are you doing, Alexander?
0: And of course, as usual, I have my co host with me, Hi Benjamin. Hello, Alexander. Hello, Ursula.
1: Hello, Benjamin.
0: Okay, so let's get going. Uh, in terms of Ursula, as I already told you, are coming from CITEL, but maybe you can um, tell us a little bit more about how your career has brought you here to CITEL and in this area of data
1: science. Well, I started studying statistics in Dortmund. And then actually I did my PhD already on the interface between statistics and machine learning. So that was a collaborative research center and the topic was complexity reduction in high-dimensional data spaces. So basically from the moment of my PhD on, I was between the two groups, (laughs) between the machine learners and the statisticians. And whenever from the machine learning side, at that time it was not called data science, it was called knowledge discovery in databases and data mining, and it was in the early 90s, late 90s. At that time already there was the claim that um, statistics will die and KDD2 will take over. <laughs> <laughs> And um, at the same time, uh, whenever I was, uh, there's a lot of things that I really appreciate very much of the machine learning uh, approaches and then talking to statisticians, being very nosy about machine learners. I was then always feeling like I have to defend the machine learners on their side because they do some things really better. Anyway, so I started being between the the two groups and it just continued um, in my whole career. So I started doing really pattern recognition for um, metabolomics with Roche Diagnostics and multimarker biomarker search. So that's really what now is a very fancy area for data science. And then I went to Unilever, and there actually I was even going under the name of data science, though I wasn't doing much more statistics. So (laughs) a lot of experimental design, clinical studies as well, but really hardcore technical experimental design, which I think is a core expertise from statisticians. Which what they can bring to the table. But I was also doing all sorts of uh, consumer science, uh, sensory science, things where really it's it's the term data science to me makes a lot of sense for all the things that we were doing at Unilever. And well, since a year about I'm with Cytel doing really pharma statistics and planning of uh, clinical studies. But of course, always having my second head on all the time when I see data, which is a data science head.
0: Okay, very, very good. Mm. Okay, well, um, also,
2: you mentioned already a few words, and I would just like to, you know, get a little bit more um, details on what you mean. Because maybe, I mean, we are mainly focusing on um, an audience from statistics, so it might be interesting to understand what is your... Um, well, definition, or how would you describe like big data, data science, no, data science we talked about a little bit, but machine learning. So, what is the com- in comparison, especially to statistics? So, you said you you've been between machine learning, for example, and statistics. What what, what why do you why are you between? So, is there no overlap? Uh, there's, is this yeah. yeah. So why how, how would you describe this?
1: <laughs> well, I, I'm I'm quite opinionated in the area of where do they differ, where do they overlap, um, and machine learning. Well, is a subdivision of artificial intelligence from its historical origin, and it actually the modest uh, um, branch. Of artificial intelligence because they said, well, artificial intelligence in the 50s, 60s, we are not yet there. We don't have anything that even comes anything but close. But maybe we start by, um, letting machines learn, um, like a human would learn. And, um, there's already one very nice differentiation between statisticians and machine learners in that machine learners approach the human way of learning and thinking as something admirable, something that you, if you get the machine to copy that, would be really great. Whereas the, the statisticians have their history in, uh, well, in the st- scientific method saying, oh, this, the human reasoning is ever so false and faulty, we go down so many bad routes and so the machine learners come and say, humans are great and we just make machines even greater and the statisticians, our oh, humans are so bad and thinking <laughs> they can't do it and this is a constant thing about the uh, uh, statisticians versus the machine learners, we are always the bad guys with the bad mood, the skeptics, negative and that's the perception of the statisticians in, in huge things it, I, and I think it's It's even grounded in this um, what is the thinking behind what you want to learn. And statisticians are trained and they start with the idea they want to learn about a natural process and they want to learn something that is happening in the real world. And um, so they think of their data comes as a sample, a random representative sample from the real world and which they then want to uh, generalize to. And the machine learners, and well, one of the basic assumptions in statistics is we have an IID sample from some unknown uh, distribution or from some, well, we start always simple, we always have an IID sample in the beginning from a normal distribution. And then we become a little bit more. It's
0: <laughs> even more simple. You have an um, independent uh, replication from a binary distribution. Or oh, yes. <laughs>
1: yeah, but so we, we, we start with this idea our data is, and, and many of the methods that we generate come originally from this simplified environment and then we make them more complex. And the machine learners have the same on their side, which is, uh, but a very different starting point. And that is the closed world assumption. They start with thinking the data that we have is a complete description of uh, of the problem and it is without noise. They have a complete correct description of the thing that they want to learn. That's their prior assumption,
0: so a very deterministic approach, so to say
1: well it's it's the data the data is the world that is all you know okay okay and it's 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 what yeah, so they start from this position and then they make their uh, uh, pro and their machine learning things better over time, adapting to the real situation in a better way reflect the thing in a better way but when you have these two different starting points, one of the main differences really is um, that a statistician is trained to think of a, a representative sample of something in the world, whereas for machine learners, the data is the data is the data.
0: OK. okay. And
1: so anything, and, and when you see where machine learning approaches are extremely good and where statistical approaches are extremely good, then this is really when you when these very beginning assumptions, whenever the one or the other is better or more correct, you will uh, use methods from the one or the other uh, area.
0: And if both are good, very good, then you have a big overlap.
1: Yes, or when, when both are actually not really good. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, but in, most, in many cases, I mean, our assumption of a representative IID sample, I'm sorry, my, much data has nothing to do with that assumption, and we still use our statistical approaches. And uh, the data is never the closed world and often absolutely noisy. And this type of data, this noisy, dirty data, um, is equally treated well with both approaches
0: can you give an example can you give an example of such a case where basically both assumptions are pretty bad
1: well i would say the electronic health records they are an excellent example of neither being the closed world nor being a, a, Any representative, IID, something.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, yeah,
1: they fit really, and and they have a lot of uh, artifacts. They're complicated. It's nothing random, but they are everything else but a closed world for what you want really to describe because there's a lot which is not in that data which would be needed to understand the closed world.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Makes sense.
2: Yeah, for statisticians, we usually would say, we're well, just using the wrong method. We yeah. can <laughs> find the method. Non-parameterics. Yeah.
0: Yep. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. yeah, we'll come back to non parametrics at, at, at a different point in time. <laughs> okay. Um, just a little bit of a joke from two uh, statisticians from Gutting. So, um
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think non-parametric doesn't co- uh, doesn't uh, um, cope with confounding and bias and everything. So non-parametrics helps you with a lot of deficiency in the distributional assumptions, but not with these, well, bias and confounding issues.
0: Well, I did my PhD in exactly these kind of things. So, okay. <laughs> you, uh, you just need to have the right methods there as well. So, uh, there's some, you you can have non parametric uh, analysis of covariance as well, and these kind of things. So, so uh, there's some nice developments beyond the, let's say, basic Wilcoxman Whitney test,
1: which is a fantastic method.
0: Yep. 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 Uh, it also assumes IID, but it doesn't yep. assume a Gaussian distribution. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, thanks for the very, very nice intro. Our main topic for today is a survey that Cytel actually ran in terms of trends in data science. And um, let's speak a little bit about this survey. So, um How was this survey actually run kind of uh, from a methodological point of view? We (laughs) talked about bias now a little bit, so so, uh, (laughs) can you talk a little bit about how you did the survey?
1: Yeah, we uh, did the survey on two conferences where SciTel also has what is called a booth, so a place where we make... um, marketing uh, for our company and we where we tell people what Cytel is doing and what we can offer to them. So it's a place where people can go and talk about what Cytel is doing. And um, so it was two conferences. It was one conference with mainly statisticians. That was the PSI last year in uh, Amsterdam. And yep. the other was the FUSE, which has more the programmers in the U.S. So by that, you already see you have two different cohorts. You have two two different cultural backgrounds. And then it needs to be those people that come by a tell booth and do not escape when somebody asks them to um answer questions in a survey. I think we even gave them a little elephant when they did it. So we have a (laughs) selection bias by those people that are attracted to a little soft elephant. So (laughs) it's not a representative sample from anything, but it is people that were willing to share their thoughts on data science from programmers and statisticians predominantly, and we had 144 people that responded, which is, I think, quite a nice number in a specialized area and getting people to talk about a topic in, in their area which is relevant to them.
2: And what What did the, the survey aim for then? I mean, to get an opinion of what exactly? So what were the questions?
1: So the, the starting question is really, do you have a definition of data science? If so, give it to us. (laughs) And this is one of the the major problems. And actually, I think only a quarter or one third had anything like a, a definition of data science. Most people don't have a definition of what it really is. And everyone uses the term slightly different, which makes the discussions around data science sometimes very funny because people completely talk about different things. So talking about definitions, so I'm using, as a statistician, the definition that Donohoe in 2017 published in in a very nice uh, article called 50 Years of Data Science, and uh, it, it relates data science simply to the exploratory statistics as uh, introduced by 2K. Okay. Um, so people don't really have a definition of data science, but then the following questions were really something like on in, in their organizations, do you have a department dedicated to data science? And really, most of them worked for um, employers that do have already a department on data science, whatever they're called. It could also be predictive analytics or uh, any of these these words. Um, so, within pharma and within academics, where many people came from, it was really something like seventy to eighty percent. Um, and within the CRO world, it was more than 50% where um, there is a department for data science.
0: Which I found really, really surprising. I wouldn't have thought that. I, I thought that, you know, that is kind of, um, you know, certain bigger companies maybe have that. But it's that kind of already within all the different things is quite astonishing to me. Um, I, what I also think is quite notable is the difference in terms of pharma to CROs. Yes. Um, do you have any kind of hypothesis of why that is? Um, any personal hypothesis?
1: Yes, I think my personal or my hypothesis really is that um, um the pharma companies and the academic companies have more access to more diverse data sources whereas the clinical CRO has clinical data that's it
0: okay yeah yes. speaking about data sources what data sources uh, are actually playing an important role
1: well um, within this whole pharma drug development area, I think uh, the hot uh, data sources are from registries and electronic health records um, the others are uh, of course um, the all the historical data uh, uh, the databases from historical clinical trials, the preclinical data um, the epic well, the cohort studies, the epidemiological uh, studies.
0: So that also means kind of observational studies and things yes. like that. So, so big uh, observational yeah, studies. Yeah, it's okay.
1: the real world evidence or the, the real world data that can lead to real world evidence. Mm-hmm. But I would always include the preclinical data as well as being a major source for information. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think those would be my big buckets.
2: Um, you mentioned already that there are quite surprisingly high number of, uh, I think it's not surprisingly high number of um, uh, departments with data scientists um, out there. So what do we then actually hope to get out of applying data science, um, you know, in the, in this area of, you know, where, where we all come from, CRO business, Pharma Academy here?
1: Well, when, when I look into what people said in the in the survey, then one of the biggest, biggest, biggest hopes is a better planning of clinical trials. And better planning of clinical trials, I mean, for statisticians, if you ever had to come up with a expected uh, uh, sample size, an effect size and a standard deviation, which is relevant for the population, Population that you are targeting for, and you don't have any good data, then you're very sad. <laughs> so, I mean, for a statistician, I think it's very clear that having uh, a historical databases is an extremely good thing to make uh, trials to plan trials better. But I, I hear more often is one of the big challenges in clinical trials is. Uh, planning the logistics of a clinical trial, having the right uh, target population where you have enough sites that can recruit enough people.
0: So it's both about sample sizing as well as um, having, you know, the rights, site selection, uh, estimating uh, speed of recruitment, these kind
1: of things. Yes, a lot. So at the conference where I'm, just now, it is really all about um, uh, patient recruitment and having registry data and people from uh, and and uh, information from electronic health records that help you to see uh, where the patients are that you would want to enroll in your trial, and which um, inclusion criteria and exclusion criteria you can use, and you still have a good population. Yeah.
0: Do this patient even exist, <laughs> or are you <laughs> so stringent with your exclusion criteria that you <laughs> carved
1: out? Yes, but I think we have <laughs> all seen trials where we looked into the inclusion-exclusion criteria and thought, "Hmm, that'll be difficult." <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: But how how would the how would the data science help then finding out these points that you just mentioned?
1: Um, well. The first of all is when you have uh, data sources like uh, registry data and electronic health record data, don't underestimate how much work you have to do to get all those data sources together. So that's already data science. Mm -hmm. People that know how to bring data of very different types and, and formats and at various places changing all the time Um, to have a repeated process of bringing that data to your table and i think this is one of the major differences between statisticians and machine learners to me where machine learners are just so much better
0: so this is really kind of the not so much about statistical models and you know you know what you know feature selection and these kind of things, it's really about having a deep understanding of the data itself, um, getting unstructured data into structured data, these kind of things, yeah.
1: Yes, it is data processing, it is data accessing, it is data transformation, it's data representation. And and then the, the mindset of... I'm not doing this process once, but I set it so up that I can ask my databases every day on updates. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, yeah. So that you can basically create things like dashboards or or stuff like that. Okay, okay. Um, Really, really nice goals but I'm pretty sure it's not easy to achieve them. So, what did the participants of the survey uh, speak about barriers uh, of these go- uh, to achieve these goals?
1: I those I have prepared for this talk because <laughs> I didn't remember all of them. One of the things that i uh, i was I was most surprised of is that people from the programming and the statistics uh, groups both said that they have skill, uh, skill gaps. And I thought, well, bringing programmers and statisticians together, they shouldn't feel that they cannot do it. Programmers can do data merges. They can bring data sources together and stuff like that, I was always thinking. So unfortunately we had no follow-up question where people feel that they have their uh, skill gaps. I would very much want people to say where where they see their own gaps, because I actually believe that statisticians and programmers together don't have so huge skill gaps.
0: Could it be that it's maybe more the fear of doing something that is a little bit more unpredictable than working on clinical trial data? Yeah, and actually, no, they have probably not not
2: have no experience in in this. So it's kind of, I think this is this is it sounds to me it's basically reflecting back what you said originally that the of the definition of data science. So if you if they don't even know mm-hmm. really how they 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 can define what they're talking about, so you know they can't really say what 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 do they have is you know what what lack of um, knowledge or do they have because they. I, I would have problems to really say w- what I would need to learn or what would need to do in order to become or to understand the data scientist's view because I don't have the experience.
1: So it's actually a very modest uh, attitude. If I don't understand what data science is, I shouldn't believe that I have any skills that would uh, lead to it. Where if you're more... Broad, you could say well data science is just statistics so I'm a statistician so I can do it <laughs>
0: <laughs> well oh, I'm, okay, su- okay. I'm surely not a very very good programmer so I am I'm, I would need to you know uh, have a really really good programmer on my side and then maybe you know it's a good programmer and me as a statistician we both together would be a good data scientist
1: <laughs> I think we all need the data managers extremely deeply. I think yeah. So a programmer who is also an extremely good data manager, <laughs> and then we yeah. So but but the skills ga- uh, skill gaps was one that uh, of the hurdles. Another one was um, the to get the data uh, in a good shape. There is money. Necessary, and so are companies spending enough money to get their data sources in shape? There is a lot of standardization that you still need to do the The claim that unstructured data is just as easy to digest as uh, 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 structured data is just not true. <laughs> it's fake news. <laughs> um, So um, I think the the, the, the data standardization and data cleaning is a huge effort that needs to be done, and that is uh, uh, translating to investment. So that's, of course, one of the hurdles that people also named quite a lot. And then uh, another one is really trusted solutions. There's a lack of trust towards data science. And so... um, and that is trust by regulatory bodies, but also trust by uh, scientists, by companies. So is it really delivering what it promises? Yeah. And so the trust issue, a big one.
0: Yeah, I, I think like kind of any innovation that goes through this uh, change cycle and innovation cycle, where you have a hype and, you know, completely exaggerated expectations on, on new things. And well, data science had that as well. And you know, there were some companies that made really, really very bold statement, and then couldn't deliver on it, or you know, claimed things, and just a couple of weeks or months or years later, uh, you found out it was all fake, uh, or it was you know, overfitting the data. And mm-hmm. nothing that you could, pr- you know, prolong in the, in the future. Well, you know, these kind of things happen in every industry. And um, I'm pretty sure if you go back in time, you'll see something similar for statistics. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, you know, just because it's new doesn't mean, you know, that uh, over time there will Will not be some kind of normalization on things. Um, I think that is just a natural process. Um, but there are some sometimes pretty bold statements uh, in the data science world, and and uh, one of which is, for example, to um, that we basically get rid of RCTs. <laughs> what do you, what do you think about that?
1: Well. I'm a big fan of Steven Sen. (laughs) Get him uh, started on it. Now, um, randomized controlled experimentation, I would really just say randomized controlled experimentation. Whenever you want to find a causal relationship of the interventionistic type, which means if I do A, I will have result B, you need randomized controlled experimentation. Point.
0: Okay, <laughs> and,
1: <laughs> and and um, that's a, about as bold a statement as IID uh, data from normal distribution, um, and then you you weaken it a little bit. But um, when you want to provide evidence for a causal relationship, and you don't do any controlled experimentation, you will not go anywhere. That's that's the statistical um success that we had over the last 300 years with the scientific method. Whenever you don't do randomization and, and whenever you don't do controlled experimentation, I'm sorry, you will go down all both bo- <laughs> all routes of bias and confounding and you will never find out why things really happen and you will continue um, to to bit against thunderstorms <laughs> so <laughs> um, but <laughs> of course there will be there is situations where we cannot do controlled experimentation at all I was working for Unilever and we were having these plants to margarines and the long term effect from uh, uh, plant-stroll margarines if you would really want to show them not on a surrogate endpoint but on a true clinical endpoint you would have to force people randomized into either eating margarine or butter <laughs> for 10 or 20 years of their life yeah sorry but this experiment will never happen and so there's many exper- uh, many questions that we have on health, which we cannot tackle by randomized clinical trials. And then we have to find other plausible ways. And the epidemiologists are doing this hard work since several decades. And they do it very well. It's an art. And um, there is these, um, what I would say, these other approaches for extrapolation which we don't do often enough so um, that we really use um, the data from one trial in one population and do not do as many subjects anymore in the new study by really having a nice way for extrapolating the expectation to the new population. I am a Bayesian by philosophy. And so if you go from um, the adult population to patriotic populations, I would very much want to um, make more use of extrapolation from the one group to the other. And there's various methods out that people can do, and that will reduce the number of uh, people in a clinical trial, but also possibly the number of clinical trials that we can do.
2: Um, So, well, I mentioned before that we primarily talk to statisticians at the moment. So, but how would you say how can they prepare them for the future, given that all the examples of why the the end of the statistician is quite near? I believe.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, what what I would like uh, um, statisticians to do more is a get their hands dirty in dirty data, and from our basic training, I think we all had da- dirty data at some points in time and we had fun playing around with them. So I don't, why, why wouldn't we continue doing that when we go in pharma? So playing around much more with, uh, with existing data for planning and, and, and getting our hands dirty in data. And I think this is very special to pharma statisticians. There's pharma statisticians who don't even do anything with data anymore. They just do planning and then they look into tables and plots that the programmers did.
0: Yep, that exists. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and
1: and I don't think that it makes statisticians very happy, but getting uh, getting your your hands dirty in data again, I think that's one of the things. The other thing really is um, um, to not be afraid. On thinking in terms of the data sources and how to bring them together and then get somebody who is more knowledgeable than yourself or if you're still studying really really look into data processing really look into scraping and uh, all types of processes that exist to get data from various sources um, to extract tables from the internet and stuff like that um, I'm not really good at it but at least i have looked at it <laughs> so i know what other people can do if i just tell them what i want
0: i think so just yeah i think that is a key thing you, you don't need to do everything yourself if if you know what's possible you can delegate yes. these kind of tasks you know i i wouldn't say that every statistician now needs to you know be fluent in r in Python and a couple of other languages um i'm not sure if that's a you know, best use of your time. But if you see the data and you know that you know certain things are extractable from the data, and you understand the data sources, then I think that's really, really valuable.
1: Yeah, and the the last thing for me really is um, not. It's not really the last thing. It is that I believe we should be like machine learners, when it comes to uh, setting up uh, processes. So um, like the process of getting the data in really and updating data and running everything again, we are almost there together with the programmers and the data managers on the inside, but not when it comes to the reporting. Um, I would, Really, really much want that statisticians don't stop with a PDF report and tables and plots on paper. We should give our clients tools to play with their data.
0: If you want to learn more about that, just scroll back in your podcast player and go, for example, to the episode with Zach Skrivenek about visualization, another episode um, about uh, building your own company with Shafi Shoudhury. There's a couple of very, very nice examples there on uh, doing things differently and thinking beyond uh, PDF as a Key deliverable. And yes, yeah, yeah. there's this really, really nice episode that we um, recorded, uh, Benjamin, you and myself, about um, tables are not the key deliverables. Yep. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. yeah. I, I, and we, very... we had discussed previously that we are very much aligned on that idea, but I didn't know that you even have... <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah, we discussed this bit before, bit so, bit. so it was quite um, fitting nicely <laughs> your introduction.
0: <laughs> but it's, it's kind of a red line through all the different episodes. Uh, it's a reoccurring theme, so to say. Okay, so um, another thing that I think statisticians can actually do to prepare themselves for the future is to um, invest in their development and training on these kind of things. And there is uh, the upcoming PSI conference that you, for example, can go to. There is um, uh, a special interest group on data science that PSI um, is uh, setting up at the moment. And there is webinars coming up and one-day events that are happening on on a uh, rather a regular basis on these kind of things. So there's a lot of different activities where you can get in touch with these kind of different things. And close your gaps. And close your gaps. <laughs> close your gap. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ursula, what, what was the kind of last thought you had on this topic?
1: Well... It's, it's not a last thought. It is really the, the topic that I'm currently most into with respect to data science, and that is data science ethics. Okay. That is um, coming towards um, ethical guidelines for data scientists. And, well, I have just written together with a colleague of mine from University of Dortmund, um, an 18 pages uh, of article, which is going to be published hopefully uh, in February. Um, and there's a lot of people, there's a lot of initiatives around the globe on data science and ethics or on artificial intelligence, algorithms, and ethics. But I, le- um, and it's not only about f- it, it, it's mostly outside the pharma world. It's more in the social media world, in the internet world, where you see that algorithms are being used in a way such that they are harmful to the society. They become, um, data science is now really um, um, delivering to the promises that they once had in the 90s in many respects, and now they shape our communities and how humans interact with each other. Mm -hmm. And um, so I feel very deeply about uh, that because of this high influence, we need to get data science out of the area of being something that people do, an occupation, without any um, scientific training possibly even. Just anyone can do data science and then um, not thinking about what a specific algorithm that you're doing is going to do with your fellow human beings, be it it a client, be it a company, or be it the society at at large. So this is really um, something where I feel data science has to become a profession, and the profession has... uh, um, service ideal and we have to write down what we think a data scientist should do and how they sh- should interact with society and companies and clients and their colleagues.
0: Thanks so much. I think that will be uh, one of the topics that we'll have <clears throat> in the future again. Um, ethics, uh, in as statisticians, as data scientists, there's uh, lots about that in terms of, for example, mm-hmm. also, you know, Um, bias in the term of, you know, if you, you know, predict that a certain, let's say, uh, people from a certain area or people, you know, with a certain gender or, you know, some other thing, you know, are worse off in some kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Is that, you know, is that bias? in terms of, you know, not not in our statistical term of bias, but more in the kind of mm-hmm. um, political term of bias, I think there's lots of very, very uh, interesting topics uh, in that and actually quite controversial and not easy topics in there. So no. we'll surely talk about that in the future as well. Thanks so much for this very, very nice interview at that really late uh, time in today. And um, have a great great time
1: thank thanks. you both for yeah, staying lot, up Lina. as well
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thank, you. thank you this show was created in association with psi thanks for listening please visit the to find the show notes with all the material and learn more about our podcast to boost your career as a statistician in the health sector